This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Addison Haynes, 35, Motorboat. It's another great day for wellness, and this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, hello, F3 Nation and beyond. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom, and I am super excited about another Hunt for Wellness podcast and today's special guest. Addison Haynes graduated from college in 2008 with a degree in kinesiology exercise science. He then went on to medical school, where long hours and residency posed a challenge to maintain his fitness and health goals. After discovering F3 through a Facebook post, Addison has accelerated his fitness, dropped 40 pounds, and now is the high-impact man in his Indianapolis region. He is a practicing physician where he inspires his patients to take a holistic approach to their health, encouraging a healthy lifestyle and less medication use. And in today's episode, we discuss what is a set point and is it the reason you struggle with weight? how to lose fat and keep it off, why losing weight too fast may set you up for failure, and Addison drops a challenge for all the packs to help you really understand and appreciate what your set point should be. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to share it with your friends, other packs, your family, and on social media. And now on today's health tip. Let's face it, doing the necessary things to accelerate your health isn't always easy, like waking up early to post in the gloom or avoiding your favorite dessert to maximize your health. Often, we struggle with daily decisions, trying to remind ourselves of the why we choose to do them. But what if I was to tell you that one of the best activities you could be doing daily for your health requires little effort on your part? In fact, when practiced daily, this activity can boost your mood, increase your energy, help with your memory, and help your body recover from the stress of the day. So what is this powerful health-promoting activity? Taking a nap. That's right. The dreaded thing we had to do as kids is actually one of the best things we can be doing for ourselves as adults. It turns out that naps have been part of cultures for centuries. The ancient Romans were biphasic sleepers. At Sexta, the sixth hour of their noon, everyone would turn in for some midday shut-eye. This is where we get the term siesta, a tradition once popular in countries like Spain. Naps boost alertness and improve motor performance, which is why you feel energized after taking one. The length of your nap determines the benefits. A 20-minute snooze is ideal to enhance motor skills and attention, while an hour to 90 minutes of napping brings rapid eye movement or REM sleep which helps make new connections in the brain and can aid in solving creative problems. When you sleep, you release growth hormone, the antidote to cortisol, which boosts your immune system, primes your sexual function, reduces stress and anxiety, and aids in muscle repair and weight loss. 
Napping gives your brain a chance to rest and your body a chance to heal. A study done with Greeks found that those who took a 30-minute nap at least three times a week had a 37% less risk of dying from heart-related conditions. And among working men, their risk of death was reduced by 64%. To get the most health benefits out of your nap, stick to a regular napping schedule during optimal hours, which are between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. This time frame is optimal since that's usually after lunchtime when your blood sugar and energy starts to dip. The length of your nap will depend on your goals. If you need a boost of energy, 20 minutes is all you need. If you need more creativity, reduce stress or planning an all-nighter, then 90 minutes is the best length of time. Be careful not to sleep too long and stick to either the 20 minutes or 90 minutes. This will prevent the groggy feeling sometimes associated with napping known as sleep inertia. So relive your days of kindergarten and embrace the nap. 20 minutes will most likely be the sweet spot for most days, but if you're participating in a 200-mile relay or a grow ruck event, then planning a 90-minute nap will be a great pre-launch strategy. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tuna Sun, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom, and I am super excited about our show today and our topic. I have none other than Motorboat joining me today. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bones. Good to see you again. Man, good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for joining me today. So I have to know, what is the story behind the name Motorboat? Always a good question. Love knowing how guys get their name. Uh, my first workout that I posted to, we were supposed to bring some gallon milk jugs with us uh, to use for the workout, various exercises. About 10 minutes in, start doing some Merkins. The joke gets made, put your head between the jugs. Um, jokes start flying everywhere. And one of the guys says, we're going to name that guy Motorboat. And they, they named me Motorboat right there on the spot. It wasn't until my third workout when we got another FNG that I found out. Usually you ask the guy's name first. You find out something about him. Guys knew nothing about me. And I got the name uh, in the middle of a workout. And I didn't know that was abnormal, but I've embraced it. And I just run with it now. Got it. So didn't request the rename uh, opportunity, I guess. Oh, absolutely not. We all know that that's only going to get worse. And I thought, oh, this is how everybody is. And it's not the case, but I thought it was funny and it works for me. You know, I've got a motor that just goes constantly. So we kind of get both things on it and uh, it, it makes for a good time. As long as we're not in church yelling out our, our F3 names to each other, I'm in the okay zone. I gotcha. Yeah. And that's usually the prerequisite uh, and a lot of the naming options out there is can you say it out loud in church? Otherwise, might need a rename, but uh, motorboat, yeah, it can go a lot of different directions. So who knows? Uh, it, we can keep that uh, church friendly as well. So motorboat's your F3 name. Tell tell us a little about what your hospital name is, uh, where you live, where you post, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So my hospital name is Addison Haynes. Uh, I am from F3 Indianapolis. Uh, so we're not technically in Indianapolis. We're on the north side of Indy here. We're one of those um, newer uh, in the sense of regions. We started just over four and a half years ago. Um, so we've been growing for that. Uh, we've got a bunch of AOs. The closest one to me is Tundra, but I consider Tundra and the Hill to be my home. Um, that's where I post the most, but I do try to get out to at least four or five AOs a, a month. Got it. And are you, did I hear that you're in the leadership role in Indianapolis? 
I am. I, I took over as Nantan about a year and a half ago. So I've gotten the opportunity to lead an incredible group of guys as we've just taken an explosive growth um, going from somewhere between seven or eight workouts a week to uh, 30 um, some workouts a week uh, across eight different locations. And we're really just growing massively in our area. And I've just gotten to be a part of watching guys do what they're good at. And I just try to facilitate it as best I can. Got it. Well, I appreciate your leadership in F3, and I'm sure those guys do as well. So we're here really to kind of talk about health and nutrition, and I wanted to bring you on the show today because of some of the things that you do professionally. Can you just kind of fill us in uh, kind of what you do as Mammon and, and why health and nutrition is a big deal to you? Yeah. So my professional training started in my undergraduate career. Uh, I have a degree in kinesiology exercise science. So a little bit about fitness and working out and how to eat healthy and things like that. I took that and went directly into medical school. Um, so I've got my doctor of osteopathic medicine. Uh, that makes me a DO. And from there, I transitioned into residency, um, family medicine and manipulation. So I do everything that uh, most of my chiropractic friends do in terms of manual medicine. And I do everything that the family practice doctor would normally do with diabetes and blood pressure and everything like that. Um, and then I transitioned from there. Uh, after working for several years, I went back and got my MBA um, because my goal is to kind of change how we do healthcare. And so when I take a look at um, what we do here, specifically in the United States and specifically where I'm at is we provide sick care and we take care of a lot of sick people. And I see a lot of the consequences of years of small decisions that just compound on top of each other. And I really want to change how we think about um, the system here in the United States. Because I say we provide sick care, we're not really providing health care. And I'm looking to help us learn to take better care of ourselves and prevent a lot of the problems that I, that I have to see with and that I have to deal with now and try to keep people healthier longer. Well, I love that approach. And I think that's exactly what we need in, in America. We need our family physicians to kind of have a similar mindset as you, because you know, at the end of the day, you, there's only drugs someone can take and there's only surgeries somebody can have. And really at the, you know, that cr chronic health is what we're looking for versus this chronic sickness. And I love, I love that approach. So from a day-to-day -day standpoint, are you in a clinic? Are you in a hospital? What are you kind of, how, how are you, how are you working with your patients? Sure. Um, my day-to-day -day business is uh, I work in a rural community, so I'm about 45 minutes to an hour north of Indianapolis, and I work in the outpatient setting. So as a family doctor, I can do both inpatient and outpatient medicine, but I've chosen to focus on the outpatients uh, side of things. So I, I see people in my clinic all day and try to treat their chronic problems and keep them healthy as well. Occasionally, we, we do some cross coverage and in, inpatient and things like that. Um, I work for a large healthcare network. Um, we are a, a giant organization that encompasses everything that you can think of from pediatric care uh, to organ transplant to diabetes to neurosurgery and everything in between. And we each have our own role. And so my role as the family doctor is seeing everybody in my community, um, regardless of age. So my youngest patient is about three weeks old right now. Um, I've got a couple more that will be coming along here soon. And my oldest patient just celebrated her 102nd birthday. And so wow. I get everybody in that mix and I cover everything um, because I'm in rural medicine. Um, we don't have a lot of access to specialists. So I, I treat everything that's out there um, as best I can and whatever we can't, then we have to refer out, but it's about 30 minutes to the closest specialist for just about everything. 
Wow. So there's probably not many things you haven't seen in your career at this point uh, with a variety of that type of patient base. Absolutely. We see a lot of different things in the office and, and I got the opportunity in my training to see a lot of different things in a lot of different areas, which was just amazing. And just seeing the differences that health can make and, and how people come out of those adversities that they find is uh, truly amazing. And that's really what started me down my, my journey of learning a lot more about um, keeping people healthy rather than trying to put them back together after something's broken. Yeah, because I was about to say a similar comment, because with the variety of all different sicknesses and ages and, uh, you know, pre pre existing conditions, you know, you either have to memorize a million different medicated uh, type of protocols and, and treatment plans and so forth, or kind of have this all encompassing view of, of health. And what are some basic things that every single person, regardless of age, regardless of sex, regardless of kind of previous condition, what are some foundational keys that they can all have to make sure that they're moving their health in the right direction? And there's always a time and place for medicine. So I'm not saying that's not, not, not a, something that you should be using. But if we have that foundational look of here's the baseline and then what's, you know, specifically maybe an individual might need. So that's, that's great, man. I love to hear that. So obviously you're well-equipped to talk about almost anything, but uh, what I kind of wanted to do today is touch on a unique theory uh, that we call the set point theory. And it may be something our listeners have heard, maybe something they haven't heard, but I'd like to dive into a little bit about that today, because I think that's a very interesting topic. I think weight and, and ideal body weight is a, a is a big uh, issue for most people. And I think it is something that uh, we need to touch on uh, to, to benefit our, our listeners. So tell me a little bit about what is set point theory? Yeah. So when we talk about set point theory in regards to weight, it talks about the idea that our body has a natural weight that it wants us to be at. And it will fluctuate a little up, a little down. Um, and if we're not making a lot of major changes, our body will try to naturally go to that weight. And we know that weight is really, really important when it comes to outcomes, outcomes from surgery, outcomes from sickness, outcomes from pretty much anything across the board can be tied into um, where your weight is. And if you can get that weight to a good level, then things will be better. And this set point theory says your body kind of naturally has this level that it's going to try to keep you at. And it doesn't matter a lot of what you do, you're going to kind of vary a couple up, a couple of down from that. And changing that can be a little difficult because um, we see people all the time that say, hey, I just want to lose some weight and they aren't able to do it. And they're kind of doing all the right things and it doesn't happen the way they want to. Or you see other people that say, I need to gain a little bit of weight. And they're also doing a lot of the right things and they can't. And the theory is, that your body has this level where it's keeping you at and it's, you know, adjusting its hormones on a minute by minute basis. And it's adjusting a lot of different things in there to keep you there. Got it. So ideally we all have this ideal weight that our body wants to be at in a perfect world. We're kind of staying at that ideal weight. And then unfortunately some individuals get above that weight, they get below that weight and, and, and what will, hopefully happen is the body will try to naturally bring it back to that set weight on a consistent basis. But let's say there's somebody struggling with weight. So I guess my, my real question is this. So if there's an ideal weight, we all should have, and, and we know from a evolutionary standpoint, if you will, that the body doesn't like to have a lot of extra weight on it. 
Why do you think that people in our society, for instance, are struggling with weight, being overweight, obese, and we get way above what we would consider probably a good natural set point? How, how do people kind of get to that point? Yeah. And, you know, that requires a little bit of a, a dive back towards history and where we were and where we've come from. Um, and so we kind of have to think about evolutionarily where we've come from. And it takes multiple generations for some evolutionary change to sink in and to um, reap the benefits for that. And with humans, we've got a much longer uh, lifespan than most other animals uh, on that. So we're around a lot longer. And if we start going back four or five, six generations, you know, and we're talking a couple hundred years ago, um, food was not as abundant as it is now. You know, you may have to go out and run 20 miles in a day with your bow and arrow to shoot a deer and hope that you're able to take that deer down. Um, and then you got to get it. And then you got to take it the 20 miles back to where your family was so that you can cook it and eat it. And if you missed, you didn't eat. And so, you know, you put in all that work and you didn't get to eat at all. And so your body was used to doing that kind of work. And, you know, you weren't going to necessarily have plentiful food all year long. And as we've evolved, or as, as technology has evolved at a pace that is faster than, than our generational pace, things become more and more abundant. You know, we suddenly have food that's readily available all the time because we have refrigeration and we can store it. And, you know, I'm sure my great grandparents would kind of go, oh my goodness, look what you have. You have a refrigerator in your house. Things are kept cold. You know, you have strawberries from gosh knows where I haven't even looked at the bottle, you know, the box of them, but they could have come from, you know, a different continent and be to my house within 24 hours of being picked and be kept cold. We didn't have this abundance of food available for us. And so with that abundance, our body doesn't know what to do. It's still worried about where is our next meal going to come from and how are we going to eat? And we don't have to do the same work either. You know, I'm always able to go down to the local grocery store and there's going to be food there. It may not always be the best food. It may not always be what I want, but there's always some sort of caloric intake that is possible. And then that, that throws it off. And then also what that caloric intake is, you know, for years we had a, a meat and veggie kind of society because that was all we could get with some fruits. Um, and you ate the fruits when they are in season and you ate the veggies when you harvest them and you ate the meat when you were able to kill it. And that was all you had. And if you were lucky, you were getting all of those on a regular basis. Nowadays, we've got all sorts of very processed, I call them the brown crunchy foods that come out of a box because um, they are all kind of the same shade of brown. They're all very crunchy. They uh, really satisfy a lot of the feelings that we have in our body and the cravings and the hormones for calories that we don't need nearly the amount that we've been getting. And so we just start getting them and we eat more and more and more. And we just have a ton of that coming into our system. And eventually our body says, oh, this is where my new set point is going to be. So I'm going to take it at, oh yeah, I should be consuming 3000 calories a day or 4000 calories a day compared to where we used to be. And it's a lot easier to regulate that up because we're constantly influxing it with these very calorie dense foods that don't activate a lot of different stuff in our body. And we've just upregulated that set point to such a level that we end up overweight. And then we've kind of accepted it as, well, this is just the way I'm going to be. Yeah. There's a big difference between um, what's normal and, and what what something should be just because something normal doesn't mean it should be, uh, it doesn't mean it's healthy in other words. So if a lot of people are overweight, for instance, 
we kind of justify that because we say, well, look, the majority of the population is overweight. So therefore it's normal. Well, it's not ideal and it's not what we should be. So it sounds like the, la or the lack of having to work for our food has played a significant role in it. The fact that we can just convenience. I mean, you don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. I mean, my wife during COVID and, and that's the one thing we continue to do with you know, she can get on an app and have groceries delivered to our front door. I mean, you don't even have to kind of take the exertion out to go even get food anymore. Uh, you have DoorDash, you have uh, all these other things that can just bring you a, a prepared meal. You don't even have to prepare it anymore. And then you mentioned some of those uh, other types of foods outside of fruits and vegetables and meat. And you mentioned calorie dense, and that's exactly what they are. They're calorie dense, but nutrient deficient. And I think that's really what happens is people will eat these foods and eat these foods, but never feel full or satiated and never feel like they've uh, satisfied their hunger. So therefore that's why, you know, you can eat three bags of chips before you know it and say, oh my gosh, how did I eat three bags of chips? Well, it's because you didn't eat anything with the nutrient dense um, uh, aspect to it. And, and our body requires certain vitamins and minerals and nutrients. And when we're not giving that, it's going to continue to demand you to put more food into it because that's how it's going to get it. So that's absolutely true. And I agree with hundred percent. How about, you know, how does exercise and stress, how does that play a role in how our bodies are adapting or becoming overweight here? Yeah. So, you know, exercise releases a lot of different hormones um, that go out there and endorphins, you know, are the thing that everybody knows about and it makes you feel happy. Um, but that exercise also activates a bunch of different transporters in our blood that help pull sugars out. And it tells our body, Hey, we need to start breaking down some of these um, carbohydrates that we have into a better form of energy. We need to start burning fat because it's going to give us sustained energy. Uh, we need to use some of this protein to break down our fats and our carbohydrates and use all this together. And when we have this regular source of exercise, our body says, this is how I'm supposed to be. I need to make sure that I'm breaking this stuff down. I need to make sure I'm metabolizing it. And it has a constant rotation of some of that stored energy that we have, because we have a lot of stored energy in our body. We can actually go days without eating and still be okay. And we can see instances of this all the time where people can go weeks without eating and still put out effort because we have a lot of stored energy. And if we can keep that rotating through, keep our hormones in check with exercise, um, then we can really start, you know, being the way that we were designed to be, being the way that we've uh, evolved to be. And, and that's useful with that. And then stress. Stress is great in certain situations. Uh, you know, if we go back that, you know, five, six, seven generations or go back even farther, you know, a thousand years, we're worried about a tiger jumping out and attacking us or our family. Your stress level should go through the roof because you're going to have to either outrun that animal, you're going to have to fight that animal and save your family, or you're going to get eaten. And so we need that. And then what would happen though, is that stress would go away um, because we, we outran it or we hid or, or we took care of it. And, you know, the stress would kind of come and go and come and go, and it would go up and down. And it wasn't always there all the time because that stress releases different parts of our body. It says, Hey, we need quick energy. And it also uh, affects how we eat and everything. It says, okay, we just fought a saber tooth tiger to the death. Now eat it so that you have the calories and you can make up that energy you just spent. The problem in this day and age is we have so much stress all the time. And some of it is self-imposed, but some of it is just 
culturally imposed. You know, we've got this little magic box in our pocket that is constantly dinging at you, telling you, hey, you need to do this. You need to do more. You've got to get this done. You need to be productive at this point in time. You've got all this going on. And those, that stress is not good for us chronically because then our body's under this constant strain. And instead of saying, hey, you know, I, I'm only in this to fight off what I'm currently doing. It's saying, hey, make sure you eat some more, eat some more. You, you need this. There's a lot going on. Eat, eat, eat. And we may be stressed, but we're not going under that same physical stress that that hormone was designed for. You know, it's designed to help me get my mile time down by three minutes because I'm out running a lion. It's not designed to make me work faster on my computer as I sit here in my, my comfy desk space or as, you know, I bounce from room to room. And that's not what that hormone is good at helping us do better. And yet we still produce it because we're under these constant levels of stress. And so the exercise ties in nicely because it lowers that stress level. We're able to relieve some of that. So it's good to do hard things. And I find it really useful to do those hard things in the morning when we're already starting to get some of those uh, hormone responses just from waking up. Uh, let's use that to our advantage. We're ready to go and let's get that workout first thing in the morning. And I think F3 really you know, shines on that, whether they designed it or not, it works really well for a reason. Yeah. It's a great one, two punch first thing in the morning to get up and start the day out, right. And get that exercise going. And to your point, lower stress, because we know that exercise is a stress reliever and it kind of resets the system. And yeah, the, the, uh, the stress, the no exercise and too many calories and convenient food, is really this recipe for what we see in our society, which is the majority of Americans are overweight. I think over 50% at this point is considered obese. So it's an epidemic. And it's not because we are physiologically designed to be that heavy. It's because of these factors. And, and to back to our kind of our, our topic today, which is the set point, let's talk about, so, so I'm overweight. Uh, I want to lose weight. And you know, the, the quickest thing most people do is they go out and they, they get on a diet, right? Uh, that's, that's the buzzword. That's a billion dollar industry every single year, selling programs and ideas and you, you name it, people get involved with it. And for the most part, and I tell clients this all the time, I said, diets do work. Diets will work, hence the billion dollar industry, because no one would keep doing it if they didn't have some results. The problem that we find, however, with dieting is we don't get lasting results. We, you know, we might lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, but we always find most people coming back up to their previous weight, if not a little bit more. Hence, you know, this new set point that may have been created as a result of their lifestyle. So what is, you know, why do people struggle with doing a diet and keeping that weight off? I mean, what are some of the things that uh, we're doing wrong in that approach that, you know, we could probably change down the road to reset the set point correctly? Yeah. And it's, it's multifactorial from that. Um, you're right. Those diets do work. And when we use that word diet in our culture right now, we usually tend to think of, Hey, this is a short-term thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to eat this specific way for six weeks, eight weeks, you know, 90 days, whatever the current challenge is or whatever our, our attention span can hold. And we have to rethink that because diet refers to what we're putting into our body. And so we've got to design that in a way that works for us individually. And so you're right, these diets do work because they all have the same 
anything in common. We have less caloric intake. Um, it's usually a bit better for us. Most of them are. And lo and behold, the weight comes off. And when we stop doing that, things start creeping back up towards that set point because we haven't reset that set point. And resetting that set point takes time. It takes dedication. And it takes a, a variety of factors to really get that better because when we think about hunger, right, we usually think, oh, it's just my stomach being empty. And that's not really the case. Um, hunger is a multifactorial thing. Our stomach and how stretched it is will tell us some level of where we're at. And that's part of the reason these calorie dense foods are so bad for us is because they just don't take up space. Um, you feel fuller after you eat something like a salad because it takes up a lot of space in your stomach and you get that stretch. And that's great, but that stomach is going to empty itself within about an hour or so. And then you're saying, well, wait a second, I'm not hungry again for an hour. Why is that? Well, because there are, there are other things going on in there. There are hormones that we're releasing. And whether that's from the smell of food, because um, we start smelling food and our body naturally starts to salivate. We're kind of like Pavlov's dogs in there, but that's us just prepping for this intake of food. Um, we also have uh, releases of hormones like um, ghrelin in there. Um, so our gremlin, excuse me. Oh, goodness. And, um, you know, those, those hunger hormones are in there. So we've got to reset all of those things. And those take time. Um, hormones are a, usually a very slow acting thing. And they take, you know, it can be months to years to reset those to get back to where you need to be. And by getting that uh, nutrition right, and then also focusing on a couple other things that are with it, getting those stress levels down, uh, making sure that we're exercising, making sure that our mental and spiritual health is in the right place. If we can get all of that in a good place and keep it in a good place, then our body says, oh, this is, this is where my new set point should be. I can get there. And there's a lot of other tips out there uh, on things that we can use to help reset that set point. And some of those are, are easier than others, but it's just a slow process to get that set point back where it is. And it's so easy, um, as Dred likes to call it, that pogo 40, you know, where you're going up and down and up and down is because it's, it's easy to get it to come off initially, but it's a lot harder to keep it off because we haven't gotten that point to come back down. And that just takes time and effort. And a lot of us um, don't want to keep in that time or we hit that plateau and we just get frustrated with it and we don't keep pushing through. It will work. We've just got to retrain our body. Hey, this is our new level to be at. Yeah. And you brought up some really good points there. I, I think one being time. I, I think the, what most people do is, is they want to kind of get results yesterday or they try to lose as much weight as quickly as possible. And so if, if, if I can lose 10 pounds, great, but if I can lose 20, 30, 40, or 50, even better and, and whatever it takes to do that. And that's what you kind of see on some of these really caloric restrictive diets where people are only consuming like 500 calories, for instance, in a day or, or a thousand calories or less. And I think physiologically yeah. speaking, anything less than a thousand calories, your body thinks you're starving it. And your body will go into this protective mechanism that will hold on to fat cells and some other things just because it's trying to preserve itself. I used to teach, uh, you know, some classes and stuff about diet and whatever. And I always used to say, just look at the first four, three letters of the word diet. You know, it says die. You know, I mean, your, your body's thinking you are trying to kill it. So that's not a strategy from a long-term standpoint. And really the slower, the better I found with helping people lose and then maintain weight. Some people obviously lose it faster than others, but 
your goal shouldn't be, you know, to try to lose 20 pounds in the first couple of weeks of, of, of a diet. And I think it's physiologically been proven that you can only use, lose, for instance, so much fat in a seven day period. And I, I want to say at one point, I think the research was kind of pointing towards like three pounds. So anything above three pounds in a 10 day, seven day period, you're looking at water weight, you're looking at some of the uh, other factors, protein breaking down, some of those other things that are creating maybe a weight loss on a scale, you're not actually burning fat and losing that fat. And so that's where I think people get in trouble is they just, they get excited about losing all this weight. And then the sustainability of it, you, you can only uh, neg neglect eat the things that you like to eat for so long. I mean, eventually you're going to say, you know, I'm going to start eating this way, especially if you kind of hit that new uh, goal weight and you're like, okay, now I can be a little relaxed on it. And what they start to do is they start introducing some of those very things that they were quote unquote restricting and their body goes haywire with it. They're like, Oh, thank God. You're finally giving it back to me. I'm going back to where I'm, you know, where I'm used to where I really like. And if you haven't given that time allowed to be set in, it's very easy to go up. I, I want to say that uh, a lot of experts, when I was kind of looking into the, the research, says that you probably shouldn't lose more than about 10% of your body weight at a time. So, you know, wh whatever that looks like for you. And, um, you know, if you're losing a lot more than that, then you're probably going to rebound a little bit harder. So, and that when you lose that weight, you should try to keep that weight off at least six months before you attempt to kind of lose any more, because what you're doing is retraining the body to um, have that new set point and uh, start moving uh, in that new direction. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's that, that time aspect is huge. And, you know, it's always great when people can lose a little bit of weight up front um, and that, that kind of energizes them, but they've got to find a way to maintain that on board. And like you said, um, burning fat is a lot harder than burning other things. It takes a lot more effort from the cellular level and fat has a lot more energy in it. You know, when we look at these kilocalories per protein and carbohydrates and fat, you know, fat is more than double what protein or carbohydrates have in it. So when I'm trying to burn a fat cell off of me, it's going to provide me twice the amount of energy um, as that carbohydrate is going to. And so it just takes that extended time of having to burn that calorie in order to get it off and then um, keep it off because our body says, uh oh, I'm starving. I'm losing fat. I shouldn't be losing fat. Um, I need to get that back. And it's because my body is still worried about where my next meal is going to come from. It's still worried about heat for the night. It's still worried about things that in most of the developed world, we don't worry about. Um, and, and most of the, the guys that we talk to, these aren't things that we worried about. You know, uh, We know where our next meal is going to come from. We know that we're going to have heat tonight. I know that I'm not going to be attacked, um, but my body doesn't know that yet. It hasn't gotten to that evolutionarily. And so when it starts seeing us lose fat, it goes, Oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to weather this storm. Things, you know, this is a rough winter right now. I need to, to buckle down hard and try to save as many calories as possible in here because I don't know when it's going to come again. And it doesn't realize that, hey, my next meal is going to come tonight um, and it's going to be there and it's going to be delicious and it's going to have everything I need in it. It doesn't know that. And until we can help train it to say, hey, this is okay. I'm losing this because I need to, because I hadn't been doing the work that I needed to be doing or I'd been eating the wrong things. 
Um, absolutely. And like you said, when we're on that kind of restrictive diet, we we feel neglected. And that that is, you know, playing into our brain there and we're not hitting the right reward centers. And companies spend billions of dollars a year to research what makes my brain happy when I take a bite of whatever your delectable puffy eye object is, you know, what's the right amount of crunch that makes me happy? How much saliva can you make from the sound of opening your bag or when I stick my hand in that bag, you know, how good can they make my body feel when I eat that? Not how well can they, you know, nourish me? That's, that's not their job. Their job is to make me happy about that. So I go back and eat more of it and eat more of it. And so if I was restricting myself for six weeks or eight weeks and I, I lost some of this weight and it was great. And I got down to that weight goal and I said, yes, I can eat more of this. I'm just falling back into this trap. And it's just going down the same way uh, that you would with anything else that your body is just like, whoa, addiction to it. And it sounds terrible, but it's what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to lose weight. We want to kind of reset our set point. We, we've kind of touched on the fact that it needs to be done methodically and slowly to allow the body to adapt and move in that direction. So what are some other things that we're going to want to do to really move our weight in the right direction? You know, let's talk diet. So or food choices, uh, you know, to stay away from the word diet, uh, nutritional <laughs> choices. Obviously, we're eating one way to, to, to move our set point in the wrong direction. What are some classic or ideal dietary changes that we should make to move our set point in the right direction correctly? Um, so, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, eating stuff that you enjoy eating, but you've got to start limiting or, or getting rid of some of those things that just don't provide the fuel that you need. Um, we, we have to rethink how we think about food. Um, right now, people tend to grab food all the time. They want to get together with friends. Oh, let's grab some food or let's have some drinks. Um, you know, you want to do anything. We design our kitchens and our houses to be the, the focal point for everything so that food is the center of everything. And it shouldn't be. We need to look at food as the nutrition for our body, just like we gas for our car. I put gas on it when it's running low. When it's not running low, I don't put gas in it just to see what happens. Um, and we've got to start looking at our food and our diet from that standpoint and saying, okay, when I'm hungry, um, I got to eat appropriate. And so part of that is is learning what does hunger truly feel like? Am I getting these symptoms of hunger? Is my stomach making noise at me? Am I feeling dizzy or lightheaded, um, which might be too far um, from that food standpoint, but it's a lot of, am I truly hungry or am I thirsty? Because you know, um, liquid is gonna play a lot into this as well. And so we're gonna tie hydration and, and diet choices here together. We need to drink more water. We need to have not have these liquid calories because they don't satisfy us. They don't trigger the same hormone release. So we put all these calories in, we're getting this sugar from it, but we're not getting any of the benefits of feeling full or our body knowing that we're being powered from that. So we want to avoid drinking liquid calories and just make sure we're hydrated. If we drink a bunch of water and then we find that we're still hungry afterwards, then, okay, let's fuel it. And I'm a big fan of a primarily plant-based whole grain diet. Um, I know that sounds a little hippie and crunchy on that and stuff, but we can get the vitamins and nutrients we need primarily from plants and then still supplement that with our various meats, uh, chickens and beefs and pork and fish and things of that nature. Um, but we really want to avoid these overly processed stuff. Um, if you were in a third world country and you needed something very calorie dense, that's a great choice. 
Um, if you are out on a five-day backpacking trip and you want to just get calories in, then some of those are a good choice. Um, but a lot of the other stuff that we should be eating on a day-to-day -day basis, we want to have um, less processing done to it. We want less added ingredients, and we want to focus on those natural sugars, those fibers, those protein levels. And we need to make sure we get a good balance of things. When you know we start talking about macronutrients and what is our percentages of fats to carbohydrates and to protein, you know, I tell people uh, you can focus on those specific numbers, but you need to get a little bit of each of those. You need to have a little bit of fat with each meal. You need to have some protein with each meal. You need to have some carbohydrates with each meal. Otherwise, your body isn't going to process it the way you need to. And if you can get some of each of those in your meals, you're going to stay fuller longer, and you're going to be able to be at the top of your game. Now, I'm not saying you can cut everything completely out of your diet. There are plenty of bad vices that we, we all have. We just have to make sure that they don't take over. And we understand when I eat this, I'm getting a lot of reward centers going off in my brain. And I need to be aware of those so that I don't give in and just constantly feed that reward center. Um, but a lot of these fruits and veggies that take up a lot of space in our stomach and make us feel fuller longer and have high fiber content so they move through slowly will release all of those hormones and help keep us feel fuller longer and still give us the feel that we need. Yeah, it, it, you brought up some really good points there as far as kind of the quality of food and feeling those nutritional voids and fruits and vegetables are certainly great options to that. And, and meat is, is, is really good. And you kind of touched on the processed foods. And I think regardless of kind of what your, uh, food philosophy is, whether it's, uh, more of a nose to tail carnivorous type of diet, or a lot of fruits and vegetables, uh, veganism, or even vegetarianism, I think what across the board everyone agrees on is this idea of processing foods. And then really what's coming to the forefront in a lot of literature is just vegetable oils and the fact that they're baked into a lot of these uh, products. And that's really the underlying culprit of inflammation. And that's really what causes a lot of this weight gain, right? Is this inflammation that's going on in our system. And so going back to whole foods that our body were designed to eat is absolutely what we need to do to not only satiate our hunger, which is kind of what we're going for here, but provide that nutrient density that we need to, to improve. And I like the idea that, you know, we don't have to be perfect either, right? Uh, the idea is, you know, we can still have some fun in life and we can still sprinkle in some of these other foods, but it, we, we need to be mindful of it. And we have to be willing to say, this is an exception. This is not the rule that we're willing to eat uh, what we need to eat. And one of the things that really works for a lot of people, even though it's a little tedious, is journaling. Uh, what you're eating when I'm working with a client, especially if they really can't understand why they're not losing weight or, or, uh, seeing the results that they thought they were going to receive. I always say, well, why don't you take note of everything you put in your mouth over the next seven days? And invariably I always get somebody coming back and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this is what I ate because there was no accountability to it. And so another strategy that I found works really well is making sure that people are journaling because that's an easy way to see how true you are to the, the program or, or what you're trying to, trying to accomplish. I don't know if you've noticed that with your clients as well, but that is something I found is, is really helpful. 
Uh, absolutely. I love that you brought that up. That was one of those ending points that I was going to make with the packs here is, is tracking stuff. I think tracking is super, super important when it comes to that. And it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, sitting next to me here is my journal and, you know, oh, nice. my, my graph here of tracking um, stuff. If we're not tracking it, then you're right. There's no accountability from that. And, you know, from my, my own personal journey, um, from where I was when I started F3 two and a half years ago to where I'm at now, um, I'm 40 pounds lighter than I am. I am faster. I am stronger, you know, everything, but I got into those same ruts that everybody else gets into, you know, and I'd love to say that I was perfect, but no, I was eating poorly. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing any of those things. And so how do you get that accountability? You got to start tracking it. And whether it's, you know, digitally with your phone, um, there are great tracking apps there, or if you want to just write it down and track it, and you don't even have to be that specific, you know, and get into all these macronutrients and everything, but just tracking what you're eating so that you know what's going in there will make a huge difference. Um, and it will really help you change it. And you'll start to be more cognizant of, oh yeah, I did have a, you know, something I shouldn't have, I don't know, Oreos in the break room when I walked by or a donut or something like that, that it didn't seem that big or, in, you know, at the time, or, you know, I had one piece of candy from uh, Halloween because, you know, my staff has Halloween candy out everywhere. And, uh, you know, I walked by one time and I had a piece of candy and that one time is totally fine. It's the problem when it was, every time I walked by it and I walked by that desk 22 times yesterday. Okay. Now I'm getting into the, that was just a bunch of sugar that I didn't need to be getting in there. I wasn't hungry. I shouldn't have been eating it, um, but I was. And if I'm keeping myself accountable by tracking it, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Uh, I'm going to look at it and be like, wow, that's where all the extra stuff is going to get. Or I, you get to the point where I'm at now, whereas, oh, I don't want to have to put it in there. So I'm just not going to eat it. Cause I don't know where my phone is right now. And I'm just too lazy to go find my phone to eat. And I don't need it. I'm not hungry. It's not something I need right now. And like you said, we can have those things. You know, I can have ice cream with my kids when we go out and have ice cream for something. There's nothing wrong with that. But I have to realize that that wasn't food for fuel. That was a celebration. I was using that as a reward center in my brain. And it wasn't doing, it wasn't getting me closer to my physical goals um, or my health goals. It may have been getting me towards, you know, my, my mental health of being better and celebrating with my kids and building bonds and making memories. And we should have that. Everybody should have that. But I have to look at it. That is, Hey, that was something else that I did. This is outside of what normally we use food for. Yeah. I, I it, that was an impressive, I, I know Pax couldn't see that chart that he held up on the camera, but <laughs> it's pretty in, de in depth and, and, you know, somebody like a professional like yourself, uh, absolutely. The, you know, that's, that's a, that's a great looking journal and, and you packs, if you're thinking to yourself, well, there's no way I'm going to do something to that degree. That's okay. And, and, and really what you have to just be honest with yourself as far as what you're doing and not doing. So, and the point I was really kind of making is sometimes we think we're doing the right things and we're not getting the results that we're getting. And I'm just suggesting, take a step back and be honest with yourself. And, and, and one, one, quick and easy way to do that is to track it uh, for a week or two weeks and just be honest about what it is that you're putting in your system. And you'll, you'll see that it makes a, a big difference. So any other strategies that we can use to, to help with the, the set point here? Any, any other tips or tricks uh, someone can do to kind of just reappreciate what it is we're supposed to feel like as far as weight, overall weight, anything like that? Yeah. You know, my, my couple of trips on that is 
really make sure that hydrate hydration is good. Uh, I know you've talked about on the COT podcast before, you know, drinking some water in the morning before your workout, that's going to help with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. When you start saying, am I hungry or am I, you know, was it just because I walked past the break room or because it hit 10 o'clock in the morning and I always snack at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, drink some water. See if it's hunger or first, because our body's not great at distinguishing those two from each other. And if you drink the water and you're still hungry, then yeah, absolutely eat something. Think about that food for fuel. Um, I love tracking stuff. It doesn't have to be nearly as in depth as I am, but definitely just taking that, that, and if you can write it down or put it in your phone or do something that will help keep that accountability to yourself. You don't have to share it with anyone. You don't have to do it for anybody else, just for yourself for a few days to be like, wow, that's where it's coming from. Um, getting that fitness aspect in so that you can help train your body for that. Um, making sure you're getting good sleep because that's going to help with those stress levels and a bunch of other things. And I'm sure we could spend hours talking about sleep in and of itself and, you know, how much we need to have, but at least making sure that you're getting some and you're probably needing more than you're getting right now, um, as is. So try to get to bed a little earlier rather than trying to sleep in later. And then, you know, my last tip for trying to reset that set point as a, you know, some literature that came out earlier this year was they had some people in a study and they put them on a diet and one group got the diet and one group was told to wear a weighted vest, 10 pound weighted vest, and they had to wear it around all day. Um, and, you know, at the end of the study, the people wearing that weighted vest lost more weight. And that's because their body because at that set point, you know, they were feeling this increased pressure and strain through their joints and this um, wariness throughout the day, they were able to lose a lot more weight because that set point had been lower, lowered because their body said, oh my gosh, I'm 10 pounds heavier than I meant to be. So it helped get that off and then help them keep that off. And so, you know, one of those challenges I would like to offer up to the packs is Find some sort of weighted object. It could be a rucksack. We got a lot of ruckers in F3. Could be a weighted vest. Um, you know, could be a backpack with some bricks in it. It could be anything, but put on a, a some sort of weighted object and wear it around all day. And I, I do mean all day. When you get up, put it on, go do your F3 workout, wearing the weight on it, mow your yard, um, wearing it, um, you know, drop your, play with your kids, uh, do your chores around the house, wear that around all day, and then get to that end of the day and be like, how do my joints feel? How, how do I feel? Am I tired, uh, you know, about this? And then take it off and do another two minutes of exercise, you know, do a couple of standing long jumps and see how far you can go, or just high jumps and see how high you can go or run 30 yards, you know, down the street and see how fast you feel, um, or do some side straddle hops or a couple of pushups or a couple of squats, or just do a couple of minutes of exercise and say, how do I feel compared to where I felt, you know, two minutes ago with that weight on and say, wow, if I could get my set point to drop these couple of pounds, how much better would I feel all the time? because we're carrying that weight around, you know, going to the bathroom or walking down the hallway or, or doing anything, we've got that weight there. And if we can learn to, to get that down a little bit lower, reset that set point lower, we could see some massive benefits. And I think everybody could benefit and say, yeah, I could do that. I could get that off and feel a lot better. Man, I love that challenge. Uh, and I, I, I was sharing with you and I've shared with the packs that, uh, you know, the, the use of a weighted vest is something that you could utilize at a workout, for instance, to build resistance and kind of break through a plateau in some of your performance. And I, I actually this morning posted with a weighted vest and I will say firsthand, it is definitely different to add that weight instantly to your system and then take it off and kind of feel the difference. And, and, and that kind of speaks to something we've kind of already talked about is what happens, unfortunately, for most people is they just start adapting and accepting their weight. 
And, and they just kind of get used to it. They just kind of get used to, well, this is how I feel when I run. This is how I feel when I uh, do lunges. This is how I feel when I get out of the bed in the morning. This is how I feel when I have to get up from the table. And you just kind of get used to it. And so you no longer kind of think of the urgency of what it might feel like if I didn't have that weight. And so this, this illustration or this um, challenge, I think will be a great way of kind of really kind of resetting someone's thought process around that because you put 20, you know, 20 pounds on 10 pounds on you do those things that you mentioned, and then you take it off, you know, instantly the difference. And if it's only 10 pounds, that's a big, I mean, like for instance, this morning, I only had 10 pounds in my vest because I was just kind of test driving a, a few things in a workout and just that amount of weight, it doesn't sound like a lot, it was a significant change in the way I felt and some of the activities I was able to do. And so when you think about just being 10 pounds overweight or just 15 pounds overweight, there's so many people out there walking around going, well, I know I'm not perfectly fit. I'm probably only 10, 15 pounds overweight. It's not that big of a deal, but then you go do an exercise like this and you're like, oh my gosh, that's how I would feel much better if I just lost that 10, 15 pounds. So I love that uh, challenge. And I appreciate you giving that out to the listeners. Absolutely. It's amazing what, what a small change like that could make. Cause you don't realize how much it builds up over time and how much stress it puts on the joints and the ankles and the hips and the knees. And, and then it leads to these chronic problems that then get you ending up in, in my office and not doing nearly as well as you would like to do uh, in the world. And so I, I think something easy like this is something all, all packs could take on, you know, maybe they take this on Saturday um, and this is something they could try and just see how they feel afterwards and say, yeah, man, a little bit of weight loss could go a long way for me and I'd feel a lot better. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I got a couple more questions before we close out here. And, and, and you kind of touched on some tips a minute ago. So I don't know if you have some additional ones, but I always like to ask, you know, if there's a sad clown or another PAX member who's not quite accelerating in their health and wellness, what are three tips to kind of get that person motivated moving towards their hunt for wellness? Uh, Three things that I think everybody should do is um, track something in your life. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, food and nutrition related. I'm a big fan of tracking something, track your sleep, track your exercise, track the number of posts you have, track something and write it down in physical form. Um, and that's going to help you um, just be accountable to yourself, but you'll be able to see some changes. So if we start tracking something, we're going to get better. Uh, next thing that I would recommend everyone do, drink more water. Um, however much you're drinking now, you can always add another eight ounces. You're going to be okay. I don't have any people here with diabetes insipidus that are drinking too much as is or SIADH, you know, drink more water. And especially before a workout, um, you'd be amazed at how much faster and how much longer you can go if you are consuming a little bit more water in your day. Um, and then the last thing is stick with it. Um, it will work. You will see the changes. Um, it's going to take time because you've got to change the set point. And that just takes time with the hormone levels that need to change the stretch receptors, that extra fat you have to burn off, how your body is processing everything that's going on. Stick with it. It will work. You know, if you are doing the right thing and truly doing the right thing, not, not just lying to yourself or faking it to your friends, but truly getting to that place where, Hey, my diet is on point or pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm posting a lot or I'm working out a lot. Um, you know, I've got my stress level down. I'm doing everything I want to. Um, it will get there. 
Um, that plateau is different for everybody and that can be weeks, it can be months, but it will get there and you will get to where you wanna be. You just gotta stick with it. And it's just like after that first post, um, you know, the, the hardest post is always the second one because you just gotta come back. Um, and if you stick with it, things will, um, you'll do better. You know, it doesn't get any easier. You just get more in shape. And so the same thing is gonna stick true with this and with your health journey is keep making those right decisions. Keep knowing that if you're heading down the right path, things are gonna get better for you. I love it, man. Thanks for those tips. I appreciate it. And I got one more question for you, but before I get to it, I just want to take a few moments here and just acknowledge you, Motorboat. Thank you for your willingness to come on the podcast and share your expertise and really kind of talk about this subject because uh, I personally believe it's going to help a lot of guys that might be plateaued right now. A lot of times we get out there in the gloom and we go, go through the motion and we'll see some initial change and then we'll kind of plateau and not get to those ultimate goals that we want to get to. And the idea around the set point and some of the strategies that you shared today is really going to impact a lot of guys. So I just, I thank you for that. And, and thank you for your service to the F3 men in your region and making sure that that region is going well and, and influencing lives and, and making community leaders. So I appreciate you for that. Um, if someone wanted to follow up with you personally, they heard something they, in the podcast today resonated with them. What's, what's the best way they can reach out to you? Um, so email is the best way to reach out to me or on the nation Slack. Um, so for various other reasons, uh, reasons, I'm not very good with social media. I spend too much time on them. So I deleted all of them. Um, so you won't find me on Twitter or Instagram or anything fun like that. So email, uh, it's my first name, Addison period, my last name, Haynes at gmail.com. Um, so A-D-D-I-S-O-N period H-A-Y-N-E-S at gmail.com. Uh, any packs can reach out to me or if you're on the nation Slack, um, motorboat at Indianapolis. And so uh, I think I'm the only Indianapolis uh, motorboat out there, or at least I know I'm the only one from Indianapolis. I know there's another motorboat in Louisville. Um, shout out to the other motorboats of the world. Um, but yeah, you can find me on the nation Slack and I'm happy to talk to people. Um, but yeah, email is great and I'll, I'll get back to you and try to help you out as best I possibly can. And, you know, as we all strive for, for wellness. Perfect, man. And speaking of that, what is your definition of wellness? Ah, great question. Um, so I, I find wellness to be the amalgamation of mental, physical, and spiritual health that allows us to thrive in the world. Um, if we can get those three things under control, then we're really going to be able to thrive. And that's truly what wellness is. It's not about, um, you know, surviving anymore as a, as a sad clown, but it's really thriving as that him. Um, and so just getting that mental, physical, and spiritual health together. Well said. I love it. Thanks again, my friend. See you next time. Anytime, Bones. It was a pleasure. I uh, look forward to talking to you anytime. Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com on the nation Slack at Bones or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.